Did you find 1 John yet? All right, I hope so. If not, I'm going to open my big Bible behind me on the screen. It'll be there. You can join with us. We've been looking at uh, the reasons that John wrote this letter to the church. Now, obviously, ultimately, the reason was he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. How many of you know all Scripture is God-breathed, inspired of the Holy Spirit? But John, as a pastor in Ephesus, as an old man, felt an unction of the Holy Spirit to write some things down. He needed the church to know these. And there's four reasons. You don't have to wonder what the letter's about. There's four times in this little five-chapter epistle that he says, I'm writing to you so that you'll know something. Now, to be honest, I thought I was going to tell you all four things on the first week of this series. (laughs) This is week three. Today, I'm going to get to the fourth, I promise. But I felt the Holy Spirit slowing me down pretty early on this month, that these are some things that we really need to wrap our hearts around. So I'm intentionally not flying through these, but I want you to get these in your heart because how many of you know we're living in a time where we can be uncertain about a lot of things? There's certainly plenty of things that we don't know about tomorrow. We don't know about this school year. We don't know about this fall. Lots of things that we can can absolutely lose our confidence over the things that we are unsure about. John felt that in the first century. I feel it right now. I'm sure you do too. And so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said, I'm going to write some things so that you'll know some things. And the word that stands out in this little epistle is the word know. He wants you to know some things. So 1 John, we're going to get to that fourth thing, but I want to take just a moment to reiterate these other things that he says we should know. The first one is in chapter 1, in the fourth verse. 1 John chapter 1, fourth verse, he said these words, we write this to make our joy complete. Anybody want to be happy? John said, listen, I need to write this down so that your joy is complete. A lot of things trying to steal our joy today. So what did he write? What is going to make our joy complete? Well, John began the letter, and we talked about this at the beginning of the month. He began the letter by saying in verse 3 of chapter 1, we are writing to you, we are proclaiming to you those things that we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. John was saying, I'm a credible witness. I'm a reliable source. I know Jesus. I walked with Jesus. I've seen him. I've heard him. And I want you to know the things that I know so that you can have fellowship with us. And so then what are the things? He said, here's what you need to, here's what you need to know. This is the message that's going to give you joy. He said, God is light. Now, we don't have time to go into the history of all this, but let me just tell you, this moment is brilliant if you understand the context. Because the context was that this, these false teachers that were coming into the church, they were the Gnostics. And they were all about light. They were all about getting new revelation, getting new information. And, and so they, they were chasing after new truth, new revelation, new information. And so John responds to their pursuit with an emphatic statement, God is light. I know you guys, you think you've had a revelation and you think, you know, you knew something new and now we've got to get your level of knowledge to get to your level of spirituality. But let me tell you what I know. And this is going to give you joy. God is light. And he responds to them 
telling them God's light. But then he says something else. He says, because God is light, if you have any darkness in you, you can't call yourself a person of the light. Oh, man. Well, that's a hard truth. But then after that, he says, but if you say you don't have any darkness in you, well, you're a liar. Oh, well, that's not good either. Okay, so John, if, if I have darkness in me, I'm not in the light. But if I say I don't have darkness in me, I'm a liar. What do we do with that, John? And John says, here's the good news, and it's in verse 7. John says in chapter 1, verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and... The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Did you know why we have fellowship with each other today? I mean, look around this room. You're probably not looking at all your best friends. You might not be looking at your coworkers. You might not be even looking at people that, that have the, the, the same political persuasion as you, but we are all in fellowship with each other because we got up this morning and chose to walk in the light. That's why we're all here together. We have fellowship. And John says, look, you're not perfect. But if you continue to walk in the light, what you're going to discover is you have fellowship with the body of Christ. You're not in this thing alone. And not only that, but if you continue to walk in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses you and purifies you from all sin. And then that leads to the second thing, the second reason that he wrote the letter. It's chapter 2, verse 1. Look at it. He said this. He said, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Somebody else write that down. Don't sin. Just, just put that. You, I didn't know. Well, now, thank you for revealing that, Pastor. Don't, don't sin. Got it. Moving on. He said, don't sin. And here's the reason he's writing, so that the church can be free from sin. Now, we know we all make mistakes, and just in the previous chapter, he said, don't say you don't sin because you're a liar if you say that. But he's saying, don't live in sin. Don't let it have you. Don't live in bondage to it. And then he says, if you do sin, if anybody sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, there, there were these teachers, the Gnostics that I mentioned, they, were, they had this mentality of everything that is spiritual is holy and everything that is flesh is carnal. And so rather than trying to redeem our human body, God just doesn't even care about that. We're just going to focus on the spiritual stuff. And what you do in the body doesn't really matter. So John is responding to that, and he says, wrong, don't sin, it does matter, it matters to God, don't sin, but if you do sin, there is grace and there is forgiveness, and you can be free from sin, and John was saying, I am a witness to this, Jesus changed my life, he changed my life, he's made me a new person, I'm a better person, I don't act the way I used to act, I don't talk the way I used to talk. Can I just say here before we move on, Jesus can change your life. I'm not talking about your eternal status. I'm talking about the way you treat people on the job. Jesus can change your life. Amen. amen. Some of you said amen for your coworkers. You're like, amen. <laughs> do it, Jesus. Do it, Lord. Sanctify somebody in my workplace. You know that wasn't for you. You're like, amen. You thought about them. You saw them in your head in that moment. And here's how we said it. You don't have to be sinless to follow Jesus, but if you follow Jesus, you will sin less. Let me say that again. Somebody's online trying to type this out. 
You don't have to be sinless to follow Jesus. But if you follow Jesus, you will sin less. So John says, I'm writing this for a few reasons. First of all, I want you to be full of joy. I don't want your joy to go in and out like your emotions. You you might be happy. You might be sad. You might have good moments. You might have bad moments. But joy, the joy of the Lord, the Bible says, is our strength. So I want you to be full of joy. Secondly, I want you to be free from sin. And then the third reason he wrote, we talked about it last week. He said, I want you to be clear about today. How many of you know we need clarity about this day that we're living in? And so John wrote for another reason, chapter two still, verse 26, he said, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. John didn't want the church to be deceived. There's a lot of concern today. And so last week, I talked about that spirit of deception, the spirit of antichrist. I want to encourage you, if you missed last weekend or if you weren't watching online, go back and watch it. That's the beautiful thing about technology. You can have church on demand. Go back and watch that message. Because I took a few moments last weekend to share my personal convictions about the things to come. And if you were here, you probably remember my one-sentence eschatological view. I believe believers will be leaving. And so last week, and we talked about the Antichrist and and what that looks like and how we respond to it. John was writing to say, look, I don't want you to get caught up and confused or deceived by the spirit of Antichrist that is in the earth today. He said, even now, there are many Antichrists that have come, but he gave them a response in chapter 2 and verse 20. This is what he wrote about deception. He said this, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Here's the response. How do we deal with deception? How do we deal with all of the opinions and speculation and conspiracy and is this the end times? Is the Antichrist on the scene? How do we deal with all that? He said, you have an anointing. And I want to say to you today, before we move into this final purpose that John wrote this letter, it is the Holy Spirit. It is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit active in your life that will make the difference to make your joy full. That was a really weak amen on a Sunday morning. It is the Holy Spirit in your life that will keep you free from sin. It is the Holy Spirit that will give you clarity for today. And and here's why I felt like we just needed to slow down and just let this simmer a little bit in our hearts and in our spirits. It's because I realize that in the day, in the time that we're living in, a, a good doctrinal outline, a little teaching is not enough to carry you through the, the stuff that you're dealing with throughout the week. We don't, we don't need just another teaching. We don't need an, another good, you know, quotable quote or something you can retweet or post. What we need is a revelation of the power and the presence of the Spirit of God in our life. Man, that was so good, I even spit when I said it. Did you hear that? That was anointed right there. That was like... Yeah, you got to keep your, you got to keep more than six feet. I got a platform. You better you better social distance on another level in this service. Listen, the Holy Spirit wants to impress His presence on your life, 
And, and so John, as he writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to a church that needs to be sure about some things, he writes one more reason, and it's in chapter 5. I want you to see it with me today. Chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And we all know the list of things that we are not sure about is long and, and, and maybe even getting longer. The longer we move into 2020, the, the more things we're unsure about, not less. It, it just seems to be growing more and more. But John writes, and I'm preaching so that you know this is not one of those things. This is not one of those things you have to be unsure about. He said, I'm writing to you who believe in the name. And that's the first thing you need to understand, that there is a qualification for this assurance. In other words, I don't have any suggestions for you today that originate with self-confidence. This is, this is not just motivational speech. I don't have anything to give you that's going to give you an assurance that's based on your circumstances. No, he said this assurance, this confidence is for those who believe in the name of Jesus. It's a confidence that's based on our belief. And here's what he said. Don't miss the, the, the nuance of this statement. John said this confidence is for those who believe in the name so that you know that you have eternal life. He did not say so that you may know that you will have eternal life. In other words, what John is saying is eternal life is not something you get when you die. Eternal life is not the brass ring for the faithful. Eternal life is not something that begins after you take your last breath. Eternal life begins when you're born again. That means when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, every benefit, every blessing, every provision that is yours in Christ Jesus is yours now outside of breathing in the very glory of God's presence. That's going to be what's different. When we step over to the other side and the atmosphere and the oxygen is the glory of God, that's going to be cool. But every blessing you have of eternal life, it's not just about a quantity of time. It's about a quality of existence. God's presence. He said, you can know, you can know because you believe that you right now have eternal life. You have it. There's a lot of people today that they don't, they don't have that assurance. They're, they have a theology, a confidence that is a, a high, I hope so. It's I hope so faith. And you ask them, maybe this is you, maybe you're listening to this message and somebody would ask you, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Well, I, I, I hope so. I'm trying. You know, I mean, I read my Bible. I, I go to church. Well, do, do you know that you're going to be in heaven when you die. Well, I hope so. I mean, I guess it'll have to play out at the judgment. I mean, I'll get there and I'll see what he says. But listen, John is saying you don't have to live your life that way. You, you don't have to have an I hope so faith. You can know that right now you have eternal life. And there's some things he had to write. There's some things I have to say so that you know Without a doubt. So let's look at him. What did he write? Back up to verse 4. 1 John chapter 5. He said, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. 
This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. I love that word, overcome. The, the word is nikeo. It means to conquer. It means to prevail. It means victory. That word nikeo, overcome, is where we get the word Nike. It means victory. Now, isn't that a, an appropriate name for an athletic shoe company? Nike means victory. And, and in Greek mythology, Nike was the goddess of victory. Whether it was in sports or at war, Nike was the goddess of victory. So here's what the apostle Paul did. He was brilliant when he wrote to the Romans, you know, where they had the, the, the Greek games and, and the Olympics, and everybody was very familiar with the metaphor of sports. He hijacked that word, Nikeo, Nike, the goddess of victory, and he, he inserted it into our faith in Romans chapter 8. Look at it with me in verse 35. He poses a question. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Sounds like he's describing some pretty rough times. Then he says this, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, last week, I, I kind of jabbed a little bit at the notion of people in our culture today calling the church sheep, you know, as if we're being led to the slaughter, as if we're being, you know, the wool's being pulled over our eyes and we don't know what's going on. And man, you're just marching to the tune of the Pied Piper. You're a bunch of sheep. And so Paul responds to this, man, what's going to separate us from God's love? Is it going to be this disaster? Is it going to be that one? Are we like sheep led to the slaughter? Look at the next verse. No. Put it on the screen so they can read it. No. That's his response. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So he didn't just say, Nikeo, you're conquerors. He said, you are Hooper Nikeo. You are more than conquerors. Like, you don't just win. You, you win emphatically. I mean, it's, it's, it's a beatdown. I mean, you run up the score on the enemy. As a conqueror in Christ Jesus, when you face persecution, why are you not abandoned from the love of God? Because you are more than a conqueror. I remember the, the Nike commercials when I was a kid. Because I always wanted Nikes, but I was too rough on my shoes. I get a new pair of shoes and destroy them in half a week, you know. But I remember the commercials. And Michael Jordan would make some incredible shot. And then, you know, people would look at him and you'd see him go, it's got to be the shoes. It's got to be the shoes. And, and what a, a brilliant strategy. I'm telling you, that marketing worked then. It still works now. When you see that little swoosh, you feel like I could probably jump higher if I had those. <laughs> like, right? Like my three-point average would go up. If I had those shoes, I know I could play. Why? It's got to be the shoes. It's got to be the swoosh. And what Paul does in Romans 8.37 is he gives the church your own Nike swoosh. He says, we are more than conquerors. And so John, late in his life, feels inspired of the Holy Spirit to write to the church. And, and he, he just adds a swoosh to the victory and the confidence that is ours in 1 John 5, 4, when he says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. Do you know what John is saying in this moment? He's saying, Here, here's what you can be sure about. 
You want to know what you can be confident about in the middle of chaos? We win. Come on. He said, we win. That's, that's the good news. Don't forget. I'm writing this down. I need you to know. We win. You don't have to be fearful about the world or what's going to happen next because we know what happens last. We know how the story ends. And John says, we have victory. We are overcomers. In fact, in chapter 4, when he was talking about that spirit of Antichrist, the confusion that was happening in the church, he, he responds to that with these words in chapter 4, verse 4. He said, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Somebody needs to hear that today. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That's why it's the Holy Spirit that keeps us full of joy. It's the Holy Spirit that keeps us free from sin. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us clarity about today. And it's the Spirit of God that rises up on the inside of us when the world weighs us down and says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I believe that. John said, church, don't forget the Holy Spirit. The same one that was in Jesus that I walked with and I heard him and I talked with him came and filled the church on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. That same spirit dwells in you. You want to know why you can be confident today? Because you know, even when it looks bad, we win. How do I know that? Because the Holy Spirit is in me. And he said, but that, that's not it. Because let's be honest, some days, remembering that the preacher said we win in the end is not enough for today. Come on, let's be honest. Sometimes we're going, I, I mean, that, that's great that, that one day, you know, it's going to be this awesome comeback moment. Probably dead by then, but it's going to be awesome. No, no, he said there's more. There's more than just this promise that we overcome. The Holy Spirit testifies, and, and John, again, John's telling us how we can be confident. Here's why you can be confident. He said the Holy Spirit is testifying to the work. Look at, still in chapter 5, verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, let me just say, you got to believe a lot more than just Jesus is the Son of God. You got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came and died on the cross for your sins that he rose from the dead, that he conquered death. But the only reason John only mentions this one thing is because the Gnostics weren't, weren't debating the other realities. They weren't denying the cross. They weren't denying the resurrection. They were denying the sonship of Jesus Christ. And so what really John is saying is you got to believe the word of God. you, you got to believe the truth of the word. And specifically to this church and to their struggle, he said, you got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Look at the next verse. Verse 6 says, this is the one, talking about Jesus, who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Jesus right before going to the cross, was teaching 
his disciples about the importance of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. Same author, John, wrote about it in his gospel. In John chapter 16, this is what the Lord told them. Jesus said, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Notice that last part. Here's what the Spirit is doing. He will make known to you. Can I just tell you today what the Holy Spirit is doing? Because sometimes we talk about the Holy Spirit. It's like this ethereal thing. Like, I don't really know. It's, it's, it's undefinable. I'll tell you exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing today. The Holy Spirit is revealing the activity of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is always putting a magnifying uh, glass on Jesus. And Jesus said, when he comes, he's going to make known to you. He's going to make known to you these things by glorifying me. That's what the Holy Spirit's up to today. That's why we need in this hour like never before. More than three steps or practical tips, we need the Holy Spirit who testifies about the activity of Jesus to testify on the inside of us. And so he goes on and he says, here's the testimony. This is why I'm writing to you. I want to make sure that you know that you have eternal life. You need to know that the Holy Spirit testifies. But then he says in verse 7, there are three that testify. Look at verse 7. There are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. The testimony of the water, he's referring back to Matthew 3. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. And what happened in that moment? The Bible says when Jesus came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove. And a voice from heaven spoke and said, this is my son in whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. It was a beautiful picture of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all three present. The dove is the Spirit, the Father's voice from heaven. Jesus is standing in the Jordan River. And and now John, all these years later, is writing. What's he saying? He's saying Jesus is the Son of God. Believe the testimony in the water. Jesus is the Son of God. And he says the the, the blood agrees. The blood agrees. And and the whole message of the Old Testament can, can be could be encapsulated in one verse. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. It says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So it's about the testimony of the blood. And Matthew records that when Jesus hung on the cross and he breathed his last breath, the work of redemption was paid in full in that moment. And the Bible says in the temple, at that moment when Jesus breathed his last breath, the veil or the curtain that separated everyone who's unholy, which is everyone, from the holy of holies, the place where God's presence is, that curtain was ripped in two. Matthew 27 says it happened from top to bottom, not from bottom to top. It was supernatural. It was a testimony of the Holy Spirit in the blood saying this moment, the transaction is paid in full. None of you could get into God's presence before. That's what the curtain was there for. 
as a reminder to keep you out. Nobody can go in behind that. But now that Jesus has died for your sins, the curtain was ripped from top to bottom. It was a testimony in the water. It was a testimony in the blood to say that Jesus is the Son of God. And that same testimony that we see outwardly is testified in our hearts. The Spirit, the anointing that he said in chapter 2, they testify quickly. I want to ask the worship team to come, and I want to read verse 11 and 12 to you. Here's what it says in verse 11. This is the testimony. What's the Holy Spirit saying today in your heart and in mine? What's the Holy Spirit saying through the blood and through the water? This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. So whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's the Holy Spirit that validates in our hearts the activity that God is doing in our world. If if you want to know what Jesus is up to, if you want to know what you can be sure about, you need the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you you want information about coronavirus, check the CDC website. Go to pa.gov. You want to know about the election and all that? CNN, Fox. Find somebody that can give you information about that. But if you want to know what Jesus is doing, John said, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here so that you may know what Jesus is doing. Last weekend, I had the opportunity to do the funeral service for our oldest church member. Last Saturday, I did Pauline Fritz's funeral. Pauline was 100 years, six months, and 12 days old. That's incredible. And I I can't say that I enjoy doing a funeral, but I can say it was my great pleasure to honor a life of faithfulness like Pauline's. A hundred years of trusting in the Lord and walking with the Lord. And a lot of you didn't know Pauline because she wasn't able to come to church here for the last several years. But let me tell you something about that little lady. She loved the Word of God. She loved God's word. And anytime she'd find a scripture that really just stuck out to her, she would open up her journal or grab a scrap paper if she didn't have her notebook, and she would write it out word for word. She would write it out. And a lot of those verses, she wrote them out to memorize them. She memorized many, many scriptures. And so when I was preparing for the funeral last week, her daughter Sharon gave me that little notebook of hers to look at and a stack of those papers. And so we're sitting there talking and and I'm kind of just flipping through and all of a sudden my eyes land on a verse. Man, I got excited when I read this verse because it's the verse that follows the last reason that John wrote. John John said, "I'm, I'm writing... 
to those of you that believe in the name of the Son of God so that you know that you have eternal life. And then right after that, he goes on to basically say, if you know these things, there's some benefits to knowing them. Now, how many of you like benefits? Come on. Come on, you guys act like you never got a free scoop of ice cream before. Like, everybody likes benefits, right? Stuff you didn't really know you were going to get, you just got it. And so I, I want you to see this verse because this was Pauline's verse in her writing, in her notebook. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. That's what John says right after he tells us, I want you to know that you have eternal life. And I love that, that Pauline not only wrote that down, but she understood that the, the fact that God hears us and answers our prayers when we pray is not just some little, you know, encouraging statement that you can kind of take out of your Bible and go, okay, God hears me when I pray. No, she even understood the context. She understood that we have this confidence because we know. And that's why she wrote that statement underneath it. This isn't scripture. This is her thought. Eternal life for one who trusts. Eternal life for one who trusts. Now, I asked this worship team to, to come back up here because I want to challenge your faith to know you can know where you stand with God if you're here today and you've got a, a theology of I think so or I hope so I want you to know God has more for you than that you, you don't have to live every day wondering like I don't know if God's going to accept me or not he said because you believe in the name you have eternal life right now but I want you to go beyond that. That, that. that knowledge builds a foundation. And the, that foundation says, I can go with confidence. With confidence. That if we ask anything according to his will, and that's what John's been saying. Stay with the word. Jesus is the son of God. Stay on the truth. Don't, don't get off course. But if we ask anything according to his will, we can have those things that we ask for, whatever we ask, we know that we have that, that we have petitioned him. Why? Because we ask him. So we're going to pray together today. And I'm going to ask you to stand, if you can, all over this room, stand with me. And listen, I, I want you to make an altar right where you're at. God meets you at your point of faith. So you're at the altar right now. And I don't know what you need. I don't know what you're unsure about. Maybe it's finances, maybe it's your health, maybe it's just concern for this nation or our world or your kids and the school year. The list goes on. I don't know what you're unsure about, but we can be sure about some things. And you can be sure about your salvation. So I want to pray for you. Would you just bow your head with me? If you're here today and you say, I'm not sure, I don't really have confidence in my relationship with God. Listen, John said in the first chapter, in the ninth verse, here's the solution. He said, if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just, and He will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can have confidence in that. So if you're here today and you say, up to this point, I, I don't know where I stand with God. I want to encourage you to pray a prayer right where you stand. Pray a prayer and say, God, I confess my sins. That's what repentance is. Say, God, I repent. I turn from sin. I need your Holy Spirit to fill me up. And by the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to go back to those same sinful choices. By the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to follow Jesus. Can I encourage you right now to pray a prayer like that? In your own words, just pray a prayer and say, God, help me to get a fresh start today. You don't have to know everything you're going to do, but you got to take the first step. And the first step is saying, God, I repent of my sin. Forgive me. I choose to follow you. I choose to follow you. I receive eternal life. Not, not for the sweet by and by, not someday, somewhere, over the rainbow, no, today. God, give me eternal life. A level of relationship with you like I've never known. In Jesus' name.